This is the Heal from Trauma-Bonded Relationships with me, Dr. Sarah, empowering you to heal from painful relationships to rediscover your self-worth and confidence because you are ready to be the best version of yourself. How long does it take to heal from a trauma-bonded relationship? It's so funny because I have heard people coming up with these really random equations of, okay, so it should take you something like half the time that you're with somebody in order to get over them, or it should take you X number of months, or it should be this or that. And anyway, people come up with these random equations And I'm not entirely sure where these equations come from. I feel like this is more to do with pop psychology and whatever just comes up on social media and people end up taking it as truth, even though it probably just came from a TikToker or Instagrammer or whoever else without real education or background or clinical knowledge around this. But here's something that I would say. The actual timeline really does vary from person to person. But the main factor that will really influence the timeline depends on the commitment of the person in order to heal, how open they are to taking that step to healing. And so this is actually a lot, lot harder than people first think. So A lot of people talk about wanting to heal, they're wanting to get better, they're wanting to be happy, and I do not deny that at all. Of course you want to be happy, of course you want to heal. All of that stuff makes absolute sense objectively. However, because the trauma bond can be so strong, they end up acting in a very different way to what it is that they say they want. So they say they want to heal, But simultaneously, that's not actually what they're doing. All of their behaviours are suggesting otherwise. All of their behaviours are actually pointing towards remaining in a trauma-bonded state. And a lot of this may be down to fear and maybe down to anxieties around what it would actually look like to be on the other side of a trauma bond. And so when you've been so embroiled and so engrossed within a trauma-bonded relationship, it is all-consuming. You get sucked in like a vortex and it is a whirlwind around you. You get to a stage where all you learn is criticism. All you learn is manipulation. All you learn is that you can never be right regardless of how hard you try, that you can never be good enough no matter what it is that you do, you can never satisfy your partner permanently. You're always only ever temporarily satisfying them. And also you're having to walk on eggshells to do so. You're having to do so, so much and suppress yourself so much in order to get that hope, that glimmer of hope that you are going to be loved in return. And so when you're in that place, it is so toxic but you get sucked in so much and so what happens is is that you slowly lose your identity in that process you slowly stop 
communicating or voicing yourself, you find it really, really hard to know what to do, how to behave, because actually all that you learn is that you can't be right. This other person that you're with is always going to dominate. They're always going to have power and hold control over you. And you're constantly under threat that they may leave you at any moment in time. But simultaneously, you also deep, deep down believe that they're the only person who can ever make it better. They're the only person who can ever make you happy again. And so if you're fully relying on this person to make you happy again, why would you want to heal outside of the trauma-bonded relationship? And all of what I'm saying objectively, logically, if you've not been in a trauma-bonded relationship, you might be kind of sat there listening to me thinking like, what? This doesn't, this doesn't make sense. Like, why, why would you want to remain in a toxic environment if this person has shown you that they're toxic? Why would you want to continue with that? Like, why would you want to force them to make you happy? Like, like it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense. They've, they've proven themselves that that's who they are and that's what it is. But actually, when you have experienced the wrath of a trauma bond, when you have really been deep, deep in the pain of it all, it becomes very difficult to see otherwise. And so this concept of healing, this concept of what it would look like beyond the trauma bond, that that becomes really difficult. And so People say, yes, I want to feel happy. Yes, I want to heal. That is what they say. And sure, they absolutely mean it. They want to feel good about themselves. But deep, deep down, if we were to really dig into their core, they would still be holding some level of belief that either I am not good enough to heal or this person is the only one who can support my healing or this is the only person who can ever make me happy or this is the only person who can ever make me feel worthy enough and so I am waiting for this person to change I'm waiting for this situation for this relationship to change for things to improve and so these subtle but yet really powerful subconscious thoughts and beliefs and urges keep you holding onto that trauma-bonded state, into that trauma-bonded relationship. And so you may be saying that you want to heal, but simultaneously you don't want to take the action to commit to healing. It's very hard to take the steps to commit towards that healing. It it just, it's very, very difficult for you to get to a place where you can imagine what it would be like to heal. And part of the fear around healing is that by the very fact that you'd be healing from this relationship, it also inherently means that you're going to have to let go of this relationship, that this relationship is going to have to end. And that in itself is really frightening. Because one of the stages, the latter stages of trauma bonding is addiction. And what I mean by that is that you become mentally, psychologically, and physiologically addicted 
to this trauma-bonded relationship. So psychologically, you get addicted because you are in this cycle of abuse and love. You are in this cycle of things sometimes really, really great. And so when things go bad, you're just sitting there waiting and hoping and praying to have that amazing time again, to have that love again. The love that felt so magical, so inexplicable to anyone else. So this is one of the reasons why I might be psychologically addicted. The other reason may be that actually when you become embroiled in a trauma-bonded relationship, your identity is fully integrated with that person. And so you really lose yourself in that process. You have no idea who it is that you are anymore. And so to let go of a trauma-bonded relationship in order to heal is really daunting because then you're also having to face issues with your identity. You're having to face issues of, oh my goodness, who am I? Where am I? I feel very, very lost and I don't know how to bring myself back here. I don't know how to find myself again. And so that can be really daunting, whereas the easier option, not the the healthiest option, not the happiest option, but the easier option is to remain in this relationship because in this relationship you know your identity and your identity is to try and please this other person but it's also very much embroiled with this other person and how they are, how they behave towards you. One of the dangerous forms though of this psychological addiction, which by the way mirrors in terms of the biological or physiological addiction, is based on a principle called intermittent reinforcement. So what do I mean by intermittent reinforcement? It's the concept whereby you have some return some of the time when you're investing in something, but you don't get all the returns all the time. And so you continue investing in something. So I'm going to illustrate this with an example. So do you know those slot machines where, uh, you know, people who gamble might use them? So, you know, you put in a coin, you put in another coin, you put in another coin and you put in another coin. And then at some point, you're going to have cash coming back to you. You don't get money back every single time you put a coin in, because if you did, then amazing. But, you know, the um, the establishment would would not make its money. Um, but basically what happens is, is that you're constantly putting in coins in the hope that you get something in return. And some of the time you do get something in return. But what happens is, is that when you get something in your return, you're like, oh my goodness, like, you know, I can see, I can feel it. I can feel that the big payoff is going to come out soon. And that happens particularly if there's been a longer period of time that you've not received a payout. And so it's this idea that, you know what, the longer that I invest in something, the more likely it is that I will get a return on my investments. But just to let you know, that is absolutely not how the laws of probability work. That is not genuine maths. That's like bro maths right there. That's not actually how the probability of mathematics works. But some people will end up kind of deluding themselves into believing that even if I continue investing in something and it's been a failing investment, like I've, I've had some level of return on my investment, but it's, it's generally speaking, if I look at the numbers, it's going downhill. 
I'm going to ignore the fact that it's going downhill, but I'm going to continue investing in it because I've invested in it for so long. And I'm in the hope that I will get a return on my investment. And so this is what we call intermittent reinforcement in the sense that we're sometimes getting something back. So we're getting something back just enough to hook us in, but not enough to make us a winner. We're getting some money back, but not all of it back, but it's enough to keep us interested and and wanting to play the game, but it's not enough money back for us to genuinely feel happy about us, for, for us to genuinely make a living off. And it's the same with a trauma-bonded relationship in the sense that we get addicted to this because we've had some level of affection back. We've had some level of care back. We've had some attention. So, you know, we've had something that's, that's felt good, that's felt romantic, that's felt exciting, but we don't get it all the time. But we are hooked in because of the times that we do get it. And it's those times that we do get it that reinforces us to stay in that relationship. And I can't tell you the number of times that I've met people where they have been talking about these relationships saying, well, I've been sacrificing so much and I know that this person loves me. And, you know, if I was to record them and and get them to listen back to what it is that they were saying, they'd probably be like, you know what, I, I, logically, I know this doesn't make sense, but emotionally what they're going through is that they believed that with all of the sacrifices that they're making, that at some point their partner is going to see them. Their partner is going to appreciate all of the sacrifices that they made. Their partner is going to want to reciprocate all of that. And somehow things are going to magically be better. And so therefore, it would no longer be a trauma bond. It would be a healthy relationship. And so people do ask me, can a trauma-bonded relationship turn into a healthy one? Oh boy, if if you both are incredibly open and are willing to commit and are willing to work really, really hard, then there is potential. But you would both have to do your own separate healing journeys way before you even consider that step. So the reality is, is that people end up getting addicted to this, to this idea of, okay, well, I've been a martyr. I've sacrificed myself. I've done this. I've done that. Surely I'm going to get love back. But sadly, they don't. They they get just enough to keep them hooked in, but not enough to keep going, not enough to, to be satisfying, not enough to actually make a happy and healthy relationship. So that in itself is really challenging. So what do I mean by physiological addiction? Well, it's a couple of different things, really. Just to outline and point out to you that there is a strong connection between the mind and the body. So whatever that happens psychologically is pretty much always reflected in terms of what's happening physiologically, what's happening in terms of the body. And so when people get hooked into a trauma-bonded relationship, they have very different chemicals that get released in the brain and they interact in a very different way compared to a healthy relationship. So in a healthy relationship, there are certain levels of hormones that get released. There is a particular neurotransmitter that gets released called oxytocin. Now, oxytocin is really important 
it is the neurotransmitter that helps to keep you bonded, that forms attachments to people. And it can absolutely be fine. It can be healthy. But it's only ever healthy within the context of safety. So if the person around you is consistent, if they are loving, if they are caring, if they are kind, if they're trustworthy, then when oxytocin is released, we associate that with a healthy, happy, loving environment. And we associate that person as being a safe attachment. However, the problem is, is that when we are in a trauma-bonded relationship, we have a whole heap of hormones that get released. One of the things that gets released is something called corticotrophin-releasing factors. And also we have other things like opioids and dopamine. And so the interaction of all of these different chemicals and all these different hormones, ultimately what it means is, is because of the context of the trauma-bonded relationship, we have an elevated stress level. Our baseline anxiety level, our baseline stress level is already pretty high. We are already in fight-or-flight mode. Our threat system is already activated. And it is because we are really anxious and apprehensive about being good enough towards our partner, about them potentially criticizing us or potentially abandoning us or neglecting us. And so when oxytocin, the bonding hormone, gets released in the state of fight or flight, when we already have corticotrophin releasing factors in our system, what that means is, is that we experience love or attachment, which is related to oxytocin, with stress, which is attached to corticotrophin-releasing factors. And so ultimately, bottom line, it means that we interpret love as having to involve stress. Love must include stress. And if stress is not involved, then we question it. Is this really love? Is this true love? And so objectively, I'm talking about it like this, but, but in the reality, that is exactly what happens. We associate physiologically and psychologically that stress and love go hand in hand. And so if we're in a relationship whereby there is a lot of stress, we still somehow manipulate that information and we believe that it is true love. And if stress was absent, if we met someone who was consistent, who is um, trustworthy, who just treated us the same all the time, even though it might sound nice that I'm talking about it now, emotionally, it doesn't quite make sense. Physiologically, it doesn't quite hit the spot. We don't feel excited by that person. Actually, we we don't even necessarily see that person or we reject that person. It doesn't quite add up. And it doesn't add up because we are not elevated in terms of our corticotrophin releasing factors. We are not elevated in terms of our dopamine levels. And so part of the addiction, physiological addiction around a trauma bond is that we experience a dopamine hit. We experience the high when they are love bombing us, we also experience the oxytocin, but then we also experience the plummet, we experience stress, we experience the cortisol, we experience the adrenaline, we experience all of the other difficult hormones 
that are associated with stress. And so therefore, they kind of go hand in hand. And basically what we're looking for is we're looking for that next dopamine hit. We become addicted to the dopamine hit, even though that it's just a hit. It's not sustainable. It's not continuous. And so it's kind of like a drug addiction. You know, when someone gets high and they feel amazing, they're they're on top of the world. But then as soon as they get withdrawal, as soon as the drug is out of their system, they plummet and they feel horrendous. And so all they're doing is they're looking for the next hit. But as you can see with the drug addiction, that is obviously not sustainable. It's not healthy. But somehow the body responds in a very similar way when it comes to a trauma bond. And so back to my original question, how long does it take to heal a trauma bond? Well, it really depends on how committed you are to taking that step. If you are willing to take that step, even if it means that you have to let go of this relationship, even if it means that you have to tolerate the withdrawal, the physiological withdrawal and the psychological withdrawal, even if it means that you have to just sit in a place of uncertainty for a little while in terms of not knowing who you are with your identity in order to find your identity. All of these things need to be considered in order to answer your question of how long does it take to heal a trauma bond. There is no equation to this. It is all down to you and your commitment. And so if you are somebody who is committed, if you are someone who is genuinely looking for change, genuinely looking to be enlightened, to find something that is healthy, that is going to help and support you, please, please do reach out to me. You will find me on Instagram. I am at dr.sarahalsawi, or you can find me on my website, healtraumabonding.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do me two favors. Hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode and rate this podcast so that other people can find support and life-changing information. Until next time, take care.